All right. Good morning, everyone. I'm Glenn, and I'm excited to be preaching on deacons on servant leadership this morning. Um, just as a reminder, we've been talking about members a lot, and now we're switching over to leadership this morning. In the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about deacons, then we'll get into pastoral team members. Um, so let me pray, and we'll get into what it is to be a servant leader here at Redeemer Church. Father, thank you for your providence, providing a structure for us as a church, for your body, providing people to fill in those structures, those places, those positions, uh, for people who are faithful, who love you, who want to see others love you, who love each other, want to serve one another. Lord, you've provided a lot for Redeemer Church. So I ask God that this morning as we walk through this, we would see uh, your providence and worship you for it and thank you for it and have great hope in you because of it. And it's in the name of Jesus we all pray through the Spirit. Amen. So we are clearly talking about deacons, 1 Timothy 3, and um, I'm going to spend some time explaining stuff at the very beginning, and then we'll get into preaching on Jesus at, toward the end. Um, but we want to talk about deacons. So just as a personal preference and a personal passion of mine, I love building teams. I love having people like Sam on my team. Like he, He's up here and he's explaining stuff, and it's as, as if I were up here trying to explain it, only he's doing it better. Like He's able to walk through what he believes about prayer team and, and all of that and does it in such a way that if I'm not here, it's trustworthy what he's saying. And um, I love building teams that are cohesive like that where people are passionate about Jesus and passionate about their passion that they have for Jesus, passionate about serving other people for Jesus, which is really fun. It's like an epicenter of gospel activity. These are the teams that I love to create. And we have a team of servant leaders that's current at, at Redeemer. And I asked them uh, a question, kind of like what Travis asked Sam. I said over text, what's the most encouraging or funny thing that has happened to you as serving, when serving as a servant leader? Uh, someone answered back uh, in a very serious way that was encouraging. It's much more about shifting my eyes away from myself so I can see the skills and the talents and the knowledge that God has given other people, helping them find their gifts and their passion here at Redeemer Church, both inside and outside the church. Um, another one said, the most encouraging thing to me about my time as a servant leader is the health that has brought my own walk with Jesus. Uh, it, I saw this again and again and again, experiencing real growth personally while serving as a servant leader here at Redeemer Church. And it's not for, you know, checking a box and making sure that somehow I'm earning God's favor, but it's a movement of spiritual health and personal joy. I just saw that again and again and again, several answers that were uh, similar to that. Um, one group leader, uh, servant leader, said they were walking through major Bible events as part of the evening uh, kids had put on a skit depicting uh, the Ten Commandments. So they killed the lights and they put on a strobe light, which sent some of the adults into shock and like a panic state, which is the really fun side of being a servant leader. You get to watch your adults have seizures. Um, another person said, within three seconds of the first group, we hosted every single last color-coded Lego that we had just put into place was dumped onto a giant pile into the floor within three seconds uh, someone shot a Nerf arrow and shattered our TV, which sounds expensive. Some kids in our group killed all of our fish in one night. Um, 
a very humbling experience. The funniest thing that ever happened, we were studying Genesis together, Genesis together, and as some of the truths were uncovered about some of the people in Genesis, like Abraham and, and his wife and all the commandments that he broke, there was audible crying out and amazement at the character of someone who is in God's word. Classic. Um, I want to show you the slide. Kelly is our, our kids' servant leader, and she said it's encouraging because people get really excited about teaching the Bible, so sometimes they bring a, tr a tree branch, spotlight, walking staff, fishing pole, whatever, to make these, these lessons come alive to the kids. So this one, one time a volunteer brought in this huge drawing of Goliath for his lesson. It's almost life-size. Like the, the, that's a 10-foot ceiling, I think. So um, that's kind of cool to watch that happen. Uh, people in our groups go from being receivers to contributors. They've seen that as servant leaders. People who were scared to pray are now praying publicly. They've seen that as servant leaders. Raw honesty, repentance, individuals growing through the power of the Spirit. Those are some of the encouragements as a servant leader. Uh, another slide coming up. Uh, this group celebrates people's birthdays as a group, so they'd all go out with crazy themes. So they have this Star Wars birthday theme. And at one of these parties, they, they pooled their money together in such a generous way that they bought a guitar for someone. That's an expensive purchase. And they did that as a, as a group. So these are some of the things that people have experienced as servant leaders. Another one was asked to start a men's discussion time. And I was surprised and, and anxious, but it went really well. And in that moment, it revealed how God has gifted me in pursuing others by serving them. So we have a bunch of servant leaders that are running around Redeemer just all the time. They're serving, they're growing, they're asking you to grow, they're serving you, they're bringing glory to Jesus. Why? Because God has given us a structure in which we do our church, a structure in his body. So we are not a congregationally led church. Why? There's no congregationally led churches in the Bible. There's just not. It's always elders and overseers, it's, or sorry, overseers and deacons, so elders and servant leaders that are everywhere in the Bible, and servant leaders are a visual obedience to that, right? It's a structure that God gave us. He provided it for us. And so according to the scriptures, if Redeemer is your church home, you're not part of a democracy. It's not one person, one vote. You're part of an elder-led structure with servant leaders that are assisting those elders, Right? We'll, we'll talk about this. We'll, we'll get into it. Hopefully you'll be able to see that. Um, we've been talking about members. Members serve, and they're members of Jesus, and we're members of one another. But Paul introduces two offices within the body of Christ. One of them is deacon, which we'll talk about today, and the other is overseer, which is coming up, and I'll explain that in the next three weeks. But I want for us to see this morning that all members serve. Like If you come to Redeemer if you're a member of Jesus' body and you know Jesus and you worship him, you serve. Servant leaders, though, are assistants to the overseers. They assist the elders. Servant leaders are biblically qualified. There's character that needs to come before competence. And also servant leaders partake in the providence of God. So let's just start out. All members serve, but servant leaders assist the elders. So when I was in Washington State, we, um, we, asked, uh, we met in a, a city hall, basically, 
and we wanted to serve the community specifically in the Issaquah Highlands celebration days. So uh, what we would do is we went to the city as a church and we said, okay, you guys are putting on this four-day event and you got animals and there's a, like a little petting zoo and there's games and there's stuff that families can do. But inevitably with any kind of a, an outreach event like this where people are having fun, there's jobs that people don't want to do. So we said, we're here. What's the job that no one else wants to do? And they'd be like, well, picking up garbage and cleaning up after the petting zoo. And we're like, okay, that's what we're going to do, right? Like, this is the question that we ask when we serve in the churches. What's the thing that no one else wants to do? Let's do it. Let's move toward that, right? The concept of serving in the New Testament appears a hundred times, and any member of Christ's church has that ability to, to serve, has that movement to serve. You can't read the New Testament and walk away thinking, well, serving's not that important, in the body of Christ, it's all there. 1 Peter 4 says, Each has received a gift from God. Use it to serve one another. Galatians 6.10, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We talk about serving a ton here at Redeemer because the Bible talks about it a ton. If you're a member here, we ask that you serve here. There's different places on Sundays, tech team, prayer team, worship team, greeting team, security team, to name a few, our kids. We ask that if you have kids in our kids, that you serve in our kids. We ask if you have the ability, ability to run slides, that you would do that, or serve communion, or any one of these teams to greet one another. All members serve, right? Because we're members of one another. It's not just like we are serving in a vacuum. There's relationship there, and we serve one another, but Paul introduces a leadership position in the Bible called a deacon, which is different than just a member. A deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means a servant or one who serves. But it's different than just a member serving because a, a deacon is a servant leader. Like we'll talk about that in just a minute. It's a crossover position that's somehow in between a member and the elders, right? The elders are here, they're overseeing, they're praying, doing the ministry of the word. A member is here worshiping God, serving one another. There's a crossover position that's in the middle where they're going in between the elders and the members and they're serving and they're leading and they're assisting the elders. It's called a, a deacon. And so when we say servant leader here at Redeemer, we're saying deacon. Deacon and servant leader are the exact same word in our minds. Um, elder and an overseer or elder and pastor are the exact same terms. They're synonymous. But for today, servant leader and deacon. So deacons, likewise, servant leaders, likewise, must be all of these things that Paul introduced and that we just read. So deacons are introduced in the Bible very just um, in Philippians 1.1. Just, it seems like it's a, a passing statement, but it's really important. Let me read Philippians 1.1 to you. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. It just seems like it's a passing statement, but it's, it sets up this structure, overseers and deacons, right? So it's the entire responsibility of the church to obey what follows Philippians 1.1. It's a letter that's written to that church, but the overseers and the deacons carry the primary responsibility to communicate that letter and also uh, watching the congregation obey 
the book of Philippians, what was in that letter. Overseers, in this case, are with the deacons. Or, sorry, yeah, pastors and servant leaders. They're together. Deacons follow the overseers in the order. So both are here in 1 Timothy 3. We just read the last part of that, but the first part of 1 Timothy talks about the qualifications for an overseer, and then they're followed by qualifications for a deacon. So an overseer is a manager or a guardian, PT or an elder. A deacon is a servant, commissioned messenger, or an agent of someone else to carry out their desires or their message. In both cases, they're always a plurality. They're together, and they're always a plurality. So it's not overseer, do this. It's overseers, plural. It's not deacon, serve. It's deacons, plural. In both cases, always a plurality. So we also need to understand that deacons are not overseers, and overseers are not deacons. The overseers lead and pray for and do the ministry of the word, and they teach, and the deacons help out with that. The servant leaders help out with that. The problem is, is that some churches, like the church that I grew up in, they interchange these, these, these phrases and these terms, and it gets really confusing. So in the church that I grew up in, they had deacons and they had trustees. So the deacons were the overseers, and then the trustees were, I don't even know, there's no word in the Bible that's a trustee. But instead, what you have is the word overseer, which we'll talk about more in the upcoming sermons, and the word diakonos, a servant who is with the overseer, who is there with him. I have a lot of this, um, comes from this book, it's by Alexander Strauch, it's called Paul's Vision for the Deacons, Assisting the Elders with God, the Care of God's Church. Uh, there's a lot of resources that I've combed through and walked through, and this one is really, really helpful in understanding what is the role of a deacon within an elder-led congregation like ours. Um, so if you want that resource, please come and, and find it. I'll send you the link on Amazon. But biblical elders or overseers, they shepherd the flock. Deacons are defined as servant leaders who come in underneath that shepherding. And I want for you guys to study the scriptures like the Bereans did. Like, check this out to see if this is true. Like, read Philippians 1.1. Read Acts 20. Read Acts 6. Look at 1 Timothy 3. That a diakonos... A deacon is a helper to the overseer, closely associated with the overseer. Now, this is not a lowly, menial servant, but someone who is associated with the overseer. It's a recognized authority. It's, uh, they lead in certain duties. Think of a deacon as someone who has agency. Just the way Sam was talking this morning, he was an agent for the overseers, for Eric and I to be able to explain prayer team. He had agency, he had authority, he had a voice in this moment to say this is what prayer team is about, right? So all members serve, but deacons are agents. They're a recognized authority within the body of Christ to lead in certain duties. All members serve, all members at Redeemer serve, but servant leaders assist the pastoral team. Okay? If that's unclear, we'll talk through it. We'll move through it together, and we can do that offline. But there is also a difference between servant leaders and pastors. So pastors oversee their guardians, their superintendents, their supervisors who, much, who must teach sound doctrine. 
They care for God's church. They shepherd the church. There's prayer. There's ministry of the word. This is what an overseer does. Servant leaders are then paired with the pastors, but there's a, a significant difference between a servant leader and a pastor. Servant leaders are not required to teach in sound doctrine. They're not given a specific task like elders are to shepherd and to teach and to uh, kick out wolves when needed. See, they are designated servant leaders precisely because of their relationship to the pastoral team. They help out the pastors. So please, go full Berean on this. Like, look at 1 Timothy 3. Look at Philippians 1. Check out Acts chapter 6 to see what's happening here. They are not some separate or autonomous group. They are working in conjunction with the overseers to, to lead God's church. So also don't mistakenly view this relationship as somehow it's master and servant. It's just not. Deacons represent the overseers. They have agency to act on their behalf and in service to God's church. It follows then that they, like the elders, need to be properly qualified, examined, and approved by the church. So when acting on behalf of someone else, the, the elders, the servant leaders will exercise a measure of formal authority within our congregation, but always under the authority of the elders. See, with this type of trust and, and interaction, it makes perfect sense that Paul pushes for deacons or servant leaders to have biblical character that's qualified and commands that they be tested first and then to serve. And that takes us to the passage that we just read. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Dignified. They also, servant leaders, must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So Paul goes from setting up the structure to getting into their lives, taking a look at their lives. And this is what we do as a church. We take a look into leaders' lives. So to clarify, the clear conscience requirement addresses the candidate's lifestyle. So a servant leader must not be a hypocrite. They must love Jesus with a full conscience, not something that's empty. Life, doctrine, belief, practice, character, they must all match up to some degree, enough that we're able to see it and celebrate it. Paul calls it living with a clear conscience. See, in the New Testament, there's no separation between life and doctrine, like teaching and life. That's for leaders. They're intrinsically bound. Belief and practice are almost one. It's when seared consciences come into play that somehow competence, their abilities, far outweigh their character. And Paul says, no, we're not even talking about competency. We're talking about character. You can teach competency, but you can't teach character. So they have elder-like qualifications. They're not elder qualifications, but they're elder-like qualifications. Again, not required to teach. They can teach. We saw Stephen, who is a servant leader in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 6. He, he preached, but they don't need to be able to. They're not required to, according to this list that we just read. So the first thing that comes up, deacons likewise must be dignified, and then also their wives uh, likewise must be dignified. It's a really interesting word to use the word dignified to describe the first characteristic of a, of a servant leader. 
dignified. Now, when you think of dignified, what do you think of? You think, oh, Eleanor Roosevelt, she was dignified, like flowing dress and affluent and grace-filled, right? But when you look up the word dignified in the dictionary, it's serious. It's someone who takes things seriously. Have you ever heard someone, I won't even dignify that, that question with an answer. I'm not even going to take it serious enough to answer it. Dignified means taking it seriously. The word in Greek literally is grave. Servant leaders, grave. When you look at that, that's serious. Gravity, weight, gravitas. Servant leaders take their roles seriously. Everything else falls into place. If they're taking their role seriously, the rest is going to follow, right? That's what Paul wants for us to see, that we take this role seriously with dignity. We're dignified when we serve. There's this description, and I'll let you tell me when you think this was written. Many, many build churches nowadays. Their walls and their pillars, well, that kind of throws it off, dates it. Their walls and their pillars of glowing marble, their ceilings glittering with gold, their altars studded with jewels, yet the choice of Christ's ministers, they pay no heed to them. That was written almost a millennia ago, 394 AD, almost two millennia ago. Um, that's quoted in this book here. That churches look at buildings, they look at things that are fancy and shiny and all of that, but Paul wants us to take heed and pay attention to the character of those who are leading within the church, who are serving within the church. That's why he has these characteristics here, dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. These things have to be here. They must be. Deacons must be. Why? They must be trusted servants. Why do we need trusted servants here among ourselves? Because Jesus is worthy of leaders that are trustworthy, that will build trust within the church to build up the body of Christ, not tear it down. Jesus is worthy of leaders that will not advocate leadership, but push forward knowing it's the right thing to do. Jesus is worthy of leaders that will follow his commands and worship him publicly through their service. Why must they be these things? Because Jesus so a, a servant leader, first of all, is dignified, takes things seriously. Everything else follows. Well, what is he taking seriously? What is she taking seriously? Well, first of all, they're not double-tongued. They're not slanderers. Okay, what does double-tongued mean? I think it means saying something to one person, but another thing to another person, right? So servant leaders, they're often in between members and elders, so it would be really easy to double-tongue conversations. It would be really easy to say one thing to the members and a different thing to the elders. But they must not do this, Paul says. Pleasing both parties in a conversation is destructive. Uh, the Bible just calls it lying. Proverbs 12, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. If a servant leader's words cannot be trusted, he or she simply is not fit for Jesus' church. Anyone who has ever been misquoted or misrepresented 
knows how incredibly frustrating this is. If you've had someone lie about you, if you've had someone misrepresent you, and now they're in leadership, wow, that's time to pause. In contrast, truthful speech is the foundation of trust and promotes good working relationships within the body of Christ. I see, I see them, I hear them, I trust them, right? It keeps going on. They're serious about that. They're dignified about that. But they're also dignified about not being addicted to much wine, which makes me laugh. So being addicted to a little bit of wine is okay? I don't know. Paul is saying that this is not an absolute ban on drinking alcohol. Enslavement to alcohol is simply a lack of spirit-controlled living. So a Christian with a drinking problem doesn't belong as a leader in God's church. A quick interpretation of Ephesians 5.18 would say this, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's there's two ways to look at this. A a servant leader who is someone who is quickly addicted to wine, and when they have that wine, they start saying things that are out of place that it doesn't have a place in God's church. I used to work with a guy who came on staff at the church where I was at in Washington, and um, we quickly gave him a nickname, Three Beer Danny. And he was an intern on this, in this church, and we were looking at him to see if he would be someone that we would call into servant leadership, but the more that we got to know him, the less we wanted to bring him in because we would go out, we would hang out, and inevitably he'd have, what, three beers. But within those three beers, he would start talking so much that no one else could get a word in edgewise but then about the middle of the third beer, it started to get really dark, and, and he got really bitter. And so when we thought, we're testing this guy, it just didn't work, because as an elder, there's not enough trust for us to be able to send him out and have him say what I want him to say with people when he's got three beers in him. It's just not going to work. So we tested, and it didn't work out. Servant leaders are serious about that. They're looking at their lives. Another uh, qualification is that they're not greedy for dishonest gain. That would be using a God-given position or an authority to acquire financial gain at others' expense. The the Bible is filled with people who uh, did not use money correctly. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus because he was speaking against that. Other people devour stealing from widows' houses as a pretense. See, at Redeemer, pastors have no access to money. Like, I don't know who gives and I don't know how much you guys give. But there is a finance team who has access to those things. They are trusted. We are blessed to have a finance team that oversees and that really cares about the use of the money that happens within Redeemer Church, and they act within a plurality under the elders' oversight. There are currently no servant leaders on the finance team, but they are a trusted group of people. But in churches all across the nation, servant leaders are the ones who have access to money. So it's very important that we have people who can be trusted who are working with the money because stealing donations and misappropriating funds, it's rampant in churches. Judas was the finance person for Jesus' little 12-person church. 
He stole, he manipulated, he eventually betrayed Jesus for what? For money, right? Money messes with people, and we know that. But imagine the, the trust that's built up when you have a plurality of people who care about Jesus, who love Jesus, who want to use Jesus' money in a way that is um, above board and is helpful for this church. We're, our money is being handled by people who are trustworthy. Another uh, qualification of a servant leader is he must be the husband of one wife, managing children and households well. This is a a one-woman man. He's got a singular focus on his wife. It's a metaphor for how we look at Christ. We're a one person, a single focus point on Jesus. I'm not into religions. I'm into Jesus. I'm not into brunettes. I'm into one brunette, if you guys know my wife. So where does pornography fit into this? Like We've had to evaluate this and think through this as as elders. Pornography is never mentioned in the Bible, but a servant leader being the husband of one wife is. So we see this in the realm of not being the husband of one wife, right? Pornography, they're into many women when you're into pornography, women who are not their wives. It's the woman of the moment, depending on what you feel. So for us, when we read the Bible, a servant leader is a one-woman man. He has a focus on his wife, not on other women. So how are the relationships in your household? How is your marriage? How does your wife respond to you? Those are the questions that we ask. How do your kids respond to you? How are you stewarding what God has given you? These are the questions to be answered concerning the management of a servant leader's household. Some of you ask, um, may say, well, are, are there women who can be deacons as well? And the short answer to that is, yeah, we see that. Um, in verse 11, it does say they're wives in the ESV. In other uh, translations, it says women. I, I don't think the focus necessarily needs to be on that. It talks about either men or women who are serving. Let those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we have about 50% women who are serving, leading within Redeemer Church, if you count all of the women who are servant leaders, right? So when we talk about this, uh, we talk about it in the sense that this is not only men and, and their wives, uh, we're talking about women who are one husband, one man, women who are focused in on their husband and not other men in the church. So we talk about these things. Uh, if you have any questions about those, please, again, we'll take it offline. But a servant leader can be such a great model of marriage and of how things can move in a really, really good way that modeling is actually a really good way to teach other people. So when we teach through modeling behavior, the learner is in control. The person who is watching is the one who is learning, who is in control, who is growing. Whereas teaching by shaping behavior means the teacher is in control. So in American public schools, we tend to shape kids versus model for them. But in other societies, it's not been the norm. Example, Jesus said, pray like this. And then what did he do? He prayed and they followed him. So modeling a good household within this household can be really, really helpful. 
and incredibly powerful. So I digress on the characteristics of the deacon or the servant leader. And we, again, if you want to talk about those in more detail, please let me know. But you need to know that character before competence is not what you see in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about the person's heart, their character, what it is in their private lives. That's what's important. That's how the Bible looks at leadership, calling, and development. It starts with, who are you? So servant leaders are called based on character in order to show the excellencies of Jesus in trusted relationship. Competencies can be, can be taught. They can be grown. But character is where we're looking at. It's the foundation on which a servant leader is built. And we want to follow Paul in this because we want to give glory to Jesus in all of this church. But here's the thing about being a servant leader. For those who serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So what's really happening when a servant leader serves? What's really happening biblically when someone serves? Servant leaders participate in the providence of God. Let me explain this a little bit more. If you go to Acts chapter 6, there was something that happened. So you have this church which is going on. You have the apostles which are there, and they're feeding widows on a daily basis. But in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the church is getting bigger, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Why? Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. People were going hungry because the church was, was growing and getting big. But I want for you to, to hear how what is equated with serving and, and bringing food to widows. In Acts 6.3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from you among seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So we're feeding widows. We're giving bread out to widows. And what does he talk about? He wants to find somebody who is full of the Spirit to be able to serve widows. That's interesting. You move on to Acts 6.8. Stephen, who is one of those who was chosen, he's said to be full of grace and power and that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He is serving widows. He is feeding them. He is setting a table and giving food to the widows who cannot do it themselves, and it's described that he was doing great signs and wonders among the people. Yes, he was probably uh, asking God for healing. He was praying. He was preaching, but he was serving and doing great wonders and signs among the people. So the Bible describes this within the context of feeding people full of power, full of wisdom, that great power came on Stephen to do what? To serve people. So let's look at that. What does it mean for a, um, a servant leader who is filled with wisdom, who is full of the Holy Spirit, who is said to be doing great signs and wonders, what, is it, what does it mean that he is serving a meal to a widow? Why are meals so important in the Bible? Why is service so important in God's Word? Let me read this to you. It comes from the book of Revelation. 
The 24 elders, the four living creatures, fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt. Give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, write it down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. What does this banquet signify in the book of Revelation? What does this meal in Revelation signify? What does it mean? I met a pastor in Washington one time at a conference. And you know conference food? It's usually like a ham sandwich with really hard bread and some chips that are stale and a cookie that you could use like as a, as a tool. It's so hard. And here we are sitting, I'm sitting across from this guy and I kind of knew him because he was at a sister church of mine and he bites into his ham sandwich and he's like, oh, this is great. And I was like, what's on your sandwich that's not on mine? And he goes, no, do you, do you taste how the, the mustard and the ham are coming together? And I was like, no, but keep talking. And he goes, and the salt from the chips, they're just, everything in my mouth is just coming together. And I'm like, wow, this is, you're having a different experience from your lunch at this conference than I am. And I was just like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you saying? And he goes, I realize three times a day when I eat, Everything is being taken care of for me. Everything is being provided for me. In that moment when I eat, it's God's glory and his blessing coming onto me. And I'm like, tell me, tell me more. This, now I'm starting to like my sandwich. <laughs> and he was like, it's God's provision. You need people, and they're there. You need drink, and it's right there. You need food and sustenance, you're taking it in. In that moment, three times a day, you're experiencing the provision of God. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been eating for years and I never realized this. He goes, when I sit and eat every time, it's God's provision. And he would just worship God and thank him. So let's think about this together. The marriage supper of the lamb, it's not just some foreign, far future banquet that we don't have anything invested in. This is God's provision for us. In the moment that we will be sitting at that table, think of that. Put yourself at the moment where you are in the marriage supper of the lamb, at the banquet, and the lamb is walking around and you lock eyes with him. That is the source of eternal security for you, eternal life for you. And then he gives you food to signify his provision for the rest of all eternity, and you're imbibing it, you're eating it, you're taking it in, and in that moment, you're celebrating God's provision for you forever. This is what servant leaders do. They make meals, they serve, they bring this forward. Andrea is not just running the soundboard, she is 
partaking in God's provision so that you can hear my voice, so that the music hits your ears. This is what servant leaders do. It's so much more than doing what other people want us to do. Servant leaders are partaking in the providence of God. When Kelly organizes and schedules and preps all of the volunteers for our kids and everything in the church, she's partaking in God's providence for you all. You need a, a place to meet. You need a place to put your kids where they hear the gospel, and her serving celebrates God's provision for that for you. When Sam meets with the prayer team, he's prepping the hearts of those that are going to pray for you. We need to speak to God. He is partaking in God's providence for us to be able to talk to God. When all of our group leaders, Brent and Jessica, Lars and Heidi, Lori and, and me, John and Danielle, when we open up our homes, it's a place where disciples are replicated. It's a place where we provide food. It's a place where we come together and open God's word and we pray together and we have fellowship with one another. It just moves toward this marriage supper of the Lamb where everything is being taken care of and provided for us. When DJ leads the greeting team, when the dryers are, are helping, Jenny is serving on our search team, we're partaking in the providence of God to move toward him, to bring glory to Jesus, to celebrate what God has done for us. Do you ever step back and savor what we have here? Servant leaders who are loving Jesus and loving you, do you ever step back and wonder at God's providence of that? causes us to partake in the providence of God. Yeah, so for those who serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing for themselves, but they also get a great confidence that is in Christ Jesus. That's what's happening when a servant leader is serving. I'm going to have our response teams come forward. And Jesus uses this metaphor of a banquet to show his love and redemption toward us in communion. So when we are taking communion, we're saying the same thing. We are part of this metaphor where God has provided everything that we need for all of eternity, that our souls would be with him forever. Communion is the most important time of our gathering because it's you communing with the lamb who throws this marriage supper, this, this beautiful banquet in the future. You, by taking communion, are partaking in the providence that God has given Jesus, through Jesus at the cross. For that, month, for that one moment when you take communion, celebrate that you have everything that you need in Christ. Jesus has provided it at the cross, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, unity with him forever, cleansing you from all unrighteousness, absolute ownership of you, no matter what you have done, you will never be taken from his hand. Redemption of your soul. It's all there at the cross. It's all provided there, and communion is partaking in that. You are partaking in God's providence over you. So let me pray, and then we'll take communion together, then we'll sing together, and hopefully we can savor what God has done for us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for providing for us 
and specifically thank you for sending people to Redeemer Church who want to serve you, who want to partake in your providence, who want to see you glorified, who want to lead and see other disciples that are made who obey Jesus and love Jesus and partake themselves in your providence. Lord, you have given so much to this church. You have provided everything for this church. So I pray, Lord, as we are worshiping at this church, that we would see and savor you, that we would um, love you for what it is that you've done, see you as worthy for how you have provided for us, but that we would also be thankful toward those who are serving and partaking of your divine providence, your movement to give us everything that we need. I ask God that you would do this, you would fill this place with your spirit now as we're singing, that in one voice we would be thankful toward you, in one voice we would celebrate the leadership that you've brought to Redeemer Church. In your name we pray through the spirit, amen.